Welcome back everyone. This week is going to be exciting. We're doing our very first Ask Me Anything episode for the year 2021. These are always fun. I love all your questions. It's such a good time to look at these questions, dig into them, and give legitimate answers. Thank you so much to everyone that submitted questions. I'm going to do my best to get as many questions in as I can. This is going to be a lot of fun. Especially considering we need some fun right now with how the Braves are performing. Fingers crossed with this stretch of games against last place teams, the Braves do well. They've already lost one against the Marlins at the time of this recording, so it's not very encouraging, but it's okay. I think they still got a chance. So, with that, let's get started. Let's start right off the bat with the most controversial one or controversial question out of all these questions, in my opinion, and that is dealing with Marcel Ozuna. Lee Reynolds of the Atlanta Braves dugout Facebook group, the original OG Atlanta Braves Facebook group, by the way, not any of the copycats. He asked, will Marcel Ozuna wear a Braves uniform again? That is a very tough question because I cannot predict the future. But if I were to guess, I think in today's society, the answer is going to be no. Now, things could change because we're looking at Trevor Bauer, right? And right off the bat, he was put on administrative leave by MLB. Right off the bat. Marcelo Zuna was not. Does that mean something? We don't know. It could be that Marcelo Zuna, because he's on the IL for such a long time, they're going to wait for things, and maybe the MLB wanted to wait till then, after he's done with that, to then make the decision. So could Marcelo Zuna be telling the truth? He made a statement saying he was telling the truth. I do think that at a minimum, Major League Baseball, once he's off the injured list, will give some type of suspension. But... I don't foresee Marcelo Zuna coming back, and that's bad for everyone involved because that means that he's not telling the truth, so it's bad for his wife, it's bad for his kids, it's bad for the city of Atlanta, it's bad for the Braves because they're on the hook for three and a half more years of that big contract. Now, I'd like to hope that he's telling the truth. The The hopeful part of me is I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'd like to hope that he's telling the truth. I'd like to hope that he's going to come back to the Braves. I just don't think that odds lean in his favor in that scenario. Charlie Williams in the Atlanta Braves dugout also asked a pretty funny question. He basically said, and I'm rewording it since this is a family-friendly show, but he said, uh, do all fans complain about their team or is it just the Atlanta Braves? And I want the reason I wanted to answer this question is there's nothing wrong with complaining. I, I get it, okay? Yeah, sometimes it's annoying when all people do is complain. That's, that's not just baseball. That's in life in general. However, the Atlanta Braves fans this year do have a reason to be upset, okay? Not only are they losing, but a lot of teams lose, so whatever. But the thing is, is there's a difference. The Pirates, for example... If they go in and complain, it's a lot different than if Braves fans are complaining. And this is why. 
The Pirates didn't come into this season being two runs away from a World Series last year. They haven't been told for years and years, oh, this is a rebuild, it's part of the process, and then get your hopes up with going to the playoffs for three years in a row, getting better and better, just to take a step back and a huge step back. So the expectations for the Atlanta Braves this year were very high, and they are not meeting them. It's not really the player's fault, it's really because... Sure, Freddie Freeman's underperforming and stuff like that, but, I mean, the bench was so weak, and the bullpen was not good. I mean, yeah, I wanted to stand behind Alex Anthopoulos and say he made the right decisions, and, you know, Drew Smiley is turning things around, Charlie Morton is turning things around, but there's some serious holes here, and there's reasons to be upset. So to answer your question straight up front, I'm sure every fan base has fans that do nothing but complain but I do think the Atlanta Braves this year a lot of the complaints are warranted based on high expectancy legitimate high expectancy that is not being met Debbie asked and thank you so much for always submitting questions Debbie I really appreciate it she asked, why does everyone hate the shift so much? Isn't it just playing smart defense and depending on who's batting? That is a good question, and I love it. I really hope they do not ban the shift, and I know I'm going to catch a lot of flack about that. But here's the thing. Your position on a baseball field is not set. It's not, hey, this is the area that you have to play in. That was never in the rule book. The original nine positions with players standing there, that was not in the rule books that says this player will stand here, that player will stand there. The original nine positions were originally put there because they thought that's how they could best defend. It's a shift. The original nine positions is a shift. So these massive shifts here is no different. There's literally nothing different. The only difference is now we have more data that shows the better places to stand. There's nothing wrong with a shift. Basically, if a batter doesn't like the shift, get better. That's simply how it is. Sure, I can 100% agree it is not as pleasing to the eye to see these guys make these massive shifts and have a guy like Freddie Freeman smoke it down the line just to have the third baseman be shifted all the way into the right field grass to catch that ball. Yeah, it's super annoying, but at the same time, these are professional hitters here. Yeah, the batting average is the lowest it's been ever, right? We know that, um, and a lot of it has to do with sticky stuff with the pitchers and shifts and things like that, but as the defense evolves, so does the hitting. The hitting needs to evolve as well, and back to the original thing, there's nothing illegal about the shift. The original nine positions were basically just guidelines of where we think you should probably stand to have the best probability to get an out. That's what the nine positions were in the first place. So a shift is literally no different. Lee asked another question that I thought was really good. He said, can the Braves get any hits with runners in scoring position? Why does it seem like it's impossible for them to do so? Well, that's an interesting question, and the reason I wanted to talk about that one, and Lee, you asked two really good questions, so that's why you got two on the podcast. Thanks, buddy. But 
the one the reason I really want to talk about this question is it's really hard to get away from just looking at your own team and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with really just watching one team and not comparing them to other teams but stuff like runners and scoring position what I like to do is look at things across the entire league to tell how the team's really doing like I said earlier batting average is lowest it's ever been so it's not like the Braves are like this outlier that aren't doing well in this scenario in fact At the time of this recording, 17 teams have left more runners on base than the Atlanta Braves. And then, if you want to look even further into it, I guess in the quote-unquote clutch moments, Braves are 5th in the major leagues with batting average of runners in scoring position with 2 outs. So it's not like the Braves are terrible across the league. In fact, they're one of the better teams. But it's easy to get caught up in this moment because recently, the Braves have been terrible. David O'Brien, who you should go follow on Twitter if you haven't already, he is probably one of my favorite follows on Twitter, and he did not ask me to say that, is that in the past 10 games, the Braves are 8 for 57 or a 140 batting average with runners in scoring position, which is the worst in the majors in that stretch. So even with... This terrible stretch of 10 games where the Braves have been the worst overall for the entire season, they have not been anywhere near the worst. A lot of that has to do with Dansby Swanson, who has been absolutely atrocious at the plate this year. It's really, really bad, and I have no idea why he's batting that high in the order. It makes literally no sense to me. Dansby Swanson this year, with runners in scoring position, his average is a 203. Runners in scoring position, two outs, 178. Average with bases loaded, 167. Sure, there is a lot of nuances there just looking at batting average, but let's look at strikeouts, okay? With runners in scoring position, 21 strikeouts. Runners in scoring position, two outs, 13 strikeouts. Bases loaded, two strikeouts. Striking out a ton. With runners on base, he's not putting the ball in play. His on-base percentage is in these situations is terrible. Overall, with runners in scoring position, his OPS is not terrible at 759, but it's not good. And then runners in scoring position with two outs, 711, which is even worse. And then bases loaded is atrocious. OPS, this is not on base. This is not slugging. This is... On base plus slugging with bases loaded, 310. Absolutely terrible. Damsley Swanson, I'm not a big believer in clutch. A lot of it is situational. But this year, Damsby Swanson has not been performing when there's runners on the base path. And with him batting fifth, that's a huge issue when you got guys like Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman getting on base like crazy. You can't have a guy like Dansby Swanson batting that high in the lineup. And I think Brian Snicker's starting to catch on there. It's just he doesn't really have a lot of options outside of Austin Riley in that scenario. We're starting to see Dansby Swanson slip more and more further down the lineup for good reason. Dorothy on the Braves Dugout podcast page asked a fun question, and this could be an entire episode 
all in itself. When are we getting another pitcher? And when can we get another outfielder? All right, here's the thing. The trade deadline is July 31st, and we probably will not see a big move until a few days before that deadline because the way that trade deadlines work is typically the teams that are selling or aka teams that are trading players that will help a team win now typically wait till a few days before the trade deadline to get more leverage in trades because they want to get as much value back from a trade as possible. The sooner you get to the deadline, the higher the bidding wars will be. And so that's when we see it happening. Luckily for the Braves, it looks like they don't necessarily need guys in the rotation. It would be nice because, gosh, the Braves have an entire rotation on the IL. But Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley, if they keep things up, have actually been very good. In fact, the Braves, in their past 17 games, have nine shutout wins. That's second in all of Major League Baseball behind only the San Francisco Giants. So the starters are performing well. Now, will that stay? Probably not, but it is encouraging. It's pretty obvious that we do need bullpen help, and so that will probably come. That's probably the main thing that the Braves are going to go after the front office, and I'm sure that they will try to at least get an MLB-level talent left fielder just because... Almonte has fallen off. He was never meant to be a starter. And Alex Anthopoulos has said that publicly, that Almonte was never part of the plan. I hate it for Almonte because it was kind of cool to see him come up and live his dreams in Major League Baseball once again and even made it into the cleanoff spot for a while because he went and got really hot for a while. But Anthopoulos has stated publicly that he's going to go for bullpen help and for a left fielder. Now, if the Braves can't win some games here in the next few games, the Braves not, might not be buyers at the deadline. So we'll see. But right now, that's the plan. We've got a question from Twitter from the handle Dansby's Hair. <laughs> but it's at George underscore P underscore 58. Fun question. This could literally be an entire series all to itself. So I can't give this answer the true justice that it needs, I, it would take an entire 30-minute to an hour-long episode to really break this down as to why. But the question is, the top five baseball players of all time. From a full-body standpoint, these are my five. Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, Barry Bonds, and Willie Mays. Now, I'm going to catch some flack for not putting Hank Aaron up there. Hank Aaron is a top seven player to me, no question about it. And if you want to take out guys like Barry Bonds because of steroids, sure. Let's take Barry Bonds out, then I would slot Ty Cobb in there as a top five player with Hank Aaron coming in at number six for a full body standpoint. So those are my top five to seven if you want to put it there, factoring in steroids and, and stuff like that. And just wanted to show how close Hank Aaron was to me no argument to me that Hank Aaron is a top seven player. I just, with full body of work, could not flip him with guys like Ty Cobb. The thing is, is there's a lot of things when you look at top five players. Are we talking overall career output? Are we talking peak? Like who was the best at their peak? Who was the best while they were on the field? If you don't factor in injuries and stuff like that, there's a bunch of different ways to look at top five players. For example, 
King Griffey Jr., when he was on the field, was a very good player, but he got injured so much, so I'm never going to say he's a top 25 player, even though he's a top 2 player for me of all-time favorite players. He's not a top five player, top 25 player just because his full output of his career was not as good as it could be because he was not on the field as often as some of these guys. Guys like Ty Cobb, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, they were on the field so much that they were able to have such an excessive amount of output in their careers. So I'm looking at strictly overall body of work, pure output, the amount of value they were able to bring to their team throughout their entire career, and those are my top guys. All right, here's a question from Trent from Twitter at TrentD1313. Very good follow on Twitter if you haven't already. In fact, he is also a contributor to Tomahawk Take like myself, and me and him have very like minds when it comes to baseball. And spoiler alert, I'm going to have him on the show in July. So keep an eye out for that. I can't wait to have that conversation with him, and we can really dig deep into things. It's going to be around the trade deadline, so we can talk about some trades and stuff. So look out for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But his question was, and it's a hypothetical, but it's fun. Weighted runs created plus, or WRC plus, or OPS plus, on base plus slugging, adjusted. You can only use one for the rest of your life. Which do you use? That's tough, because I use both of them religiously, because there's those two are probably two of the most important stats when you are doing a quick glance at a player. You can look right at OPS plus or right at runs created plus and tell how well they are doing against the rest of the league just like that. And for example, right now this year, the pitchers are pitching insanely good uh, because of sticky stuff, obviously, with RPM droppage after the crackdown. You can see that. But you can look at some players and you can look at their OPS plus or WRC plus this year and you can see that they are performing not quite as good from a pure output standpoint, but their OPS plus or WRC plus is higher because across league average, they're actually doing better than they did last year. So I will always use these statistics. I guess really the biggest nuance here is if I had to pick one, only one, I'm going to go with WRC plus because OPS plus is easy to use and it's easy to explain because you can see, oh, it's on base plus slugging, bam, adjusted, yeah, across the league, cool, and you can explain, you know, how important OPS is, how important on base and slugging is and all that stuff, but I, what I really like about runs created is it brings out the conversation, okay, well, what is a batter's true purpose? A batter's true purpose is not to knock in runs, a.k.a. RBIs. Their true purpose is not to simply get on base, although both of those things are great. Their number one goal, a hitter's number one goal, is to create runs in whatever way possible. That's a combination of getting on base, a combination of slugging, getting home runs, doubles, triples, whatever. It's a combination of all that stuff together. And that is creating runs. It's not simply getting on base. It's not simply being clutch or whatever you want to call it by knocking in RBIs because that's very, very, very situational. 
right? RBIs. You could be on a terrible team. You could be on the Tigers, be the best hitter in the league. You're probably not going to get 100 RBIs. You know what I mean? So runs created plus brings out the conversation of what the true purpose of a hitter's job is, and that is to purely create runs in whatever way possible. And that's why I like runs created plus because it opens up that conversation to people and explaining what a hitter's true job is. For what it's worth, it was really weird last year in only 60 games because the formulas used for runs created plus and OPS plus are slightly different. They're very slight, truly. Um, But other than last year where it was really weird with only 60 games, if you were to look at players' careers, like let's use Chipper Jones, for example, his entire long career, his OPS plus and his runs created plus are only like one point different. They follow each other very, very closely. So if you use one over the other, odds are that you're going to be having the same conversation with someone on who's having a better year and whatnot. They're very, they follow each other very closely. So if you're using either one, you're doing a good job. That's just my explanation on why I would use weighted runs created plus if if I had to choose one. And of course, I got those out there. Trent was being facetious here, but he said, why is batting average the best statistic? Short answer, it's not. It's the most overrated statistic in all of baseball. Sure, it's important to get hits, but if you're hitting 300, which is solid, don't get me wrong, and major league level, that's very good, but your on-base percentage is only 330, that is very misleading because you can have a guy that's hitting 250 with an on-base percentage of 400 with a slugging percentage of, say, 500, and that is much, much, much more effective. Going back to OPS Plus and Runs Created Plus, you're creating more runs than a guy that's hitting a bunch of singles. Hitting a bunch of singles is impressive. Nothing wrong with it. It's just a lot of people, for whatever reason, and I think it's just because back in the day with Tony Gwynn, Pete Rose, people like that, guys were always looking at batting average. But a lot of fans today still, the first thing they look at is batting average. And you can see that with how they voted for players in the All-Star game. They look straight for batting average, and that's who they voted for. If you're going to look at one stat and one stat only when you go to All-Star voting, and they still don't have enough information on those charts for picking batters. I hate it. They don't show wins above replacement to show. And I, and I, and I get the argument. People are voting for all-star players for their offense but for me I want to vote for the best player in that position that's the player that brings the most value so I'm looking at full body of work but at least if you're going to look at what MLB.com has out there click on the OPS tab and sort by OPS if you're only going to vote offense at least do that don't look straight at the batting average because you can have a guy like Tosca Hernandez for whatever reason you know, he's got a decent batting average, so let's vote for him. Even though you got like a guy like Cedric Mullins, who's on base percentage is almost 400. He's one of the top guys in OPS. He has decent defense playing center field. He's got triple the wins above replacement than Hernandez from the Blue Jays, yet Hernandez beat him out. That's That's not right, and it's all because of batting average and stuff like that. People cherry-picking stats. However, like I said in the past, by all means, vote for whoever you want 
in the All-Star Game. That's what's so fun about it is you can truly vote for whoever you want and there's no, you have to choose this guy. You can even write in names. So it is a lot of fun. I'm just saying, let's, as a society, baseball society, let's try to step back from using batting average as our main point on if a player is a good hitter or not. There's so much more to the story than just the batting average. Man, I need to get off my soapbox because I was about to go on this long tangent of Tony Gwynn and how he could have been so much better than he was because he had the talent. He was just misinformed on what would create the most runs. And I hate it for a guy like that because even though everyone knows he's an all-time great, first ballot Hall of Famer, of course, but as far as a full body of work with wins above replacement and stuff like that, if he would have had the data back then that is out there today, I believe he could go- have gone up quite a few spots on the all-time list from best players. And it, the bad part about it is Tony Gwynn had the talent to do it. He was just misinformed on what was most valuable as far as what will end up in more runs for your team being scored. All right, we have time for one more question. And this is from my buddy Benji on Twitter. His handle is at RonnieGOT13. Obviously, he's talking about Ronald Acuna there being the greatest of all time, wearing number 13. And he asked, do you think the Braves will make the playoffs this year? There's still a chance. Sadly enough, I don't think that they will, just because I'm a probabilities guy, okay? I look at probabilities If I go in and buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to buy the one with the highest winning percentage, right? Or highest probability of getting a win. And the thing with the Braves is really their only true shot to make it to the playoffs with the way the rest of the National League has been playing is they're going to need to win their division. I mean, gosh, just look at the National League West. They've got three teams with 49 wins or better already. And then the Reds have... A, win, a positive winning percentage being in second place in the National League Central. It doesn't look like the Braves can win a wild card. It looks like their only chance of making it to the playoffs, unless a lot of things happen, is to win in the division. And according to Fangraphs, who I highly trust, and this this is a free endorsement for them. They didn't ask me to use them. But Fangraphs, which I trust tremendously as far as, I like them the best probably when it comes to their playoffs projections. I like them better than MLB.com. I like them better than a lot of other ones. But anyways, they have the Braves' chances of winning their division at only 13%, and their percentages of making the playoffs, that's factoring in winning their division or possibly winning a wild card, at only 16.6% as at the time of this recording. And I have to agree with them. Uh, now, Those percentages could change if the Braves make a significant splash at the deadline. But with the percentages being that low, unless they go on a nice little run here the next week and a half or so, or really truly this month, they're not going to make a big splash at the deadline if they don't start getting a winning percentage that's over 500. If the Braves can make it over 500 before the deadline, I see them making a splash. And if they do that, the percentage of them making the playoffs will skyrocket. But if they don't, it's going to plummet, and it's going to plummet fast. So right now, this is a very, very 
volatile moment for the Braves. They have to win these games against the last place teams of Marlins and Pirates and people like that before they go out west and play the big boys. So, but I'm going to say if I had to guess, if I had to make a prediction, I would say, honestly, unless things change, the Braves are not making the playoffs. And that's not me being cynical. That's me using statistics here. It's me using probabilities. Is there a chance? Yep, there's a chance. If you told me, hey, you have a 16% chance of winning $1,000 by buying a lottery ticket, I would buy that lottery ticket. Okay, that is, I mean, 16% is definitely doable. You know, it's possible, but I would say versus the Mets who have a 76% chance, 73% chance to win a division, getting some players off of the injured list. I mean, shoot, the Mets were winning when they had 17 players on the aisle. 17, and they were still winning games. DeGrom, yes, the Braves beat DeGrom, but DeGrom is playing out of his mind. And you have guys like Taiwan Walker, who, by the way, I wanted at the trade deadline last year and wanted him as a free agent this year. Didn't happen. And guys like Marcus Stroman and other guys stepping up in the place of Noah Syndergaard, the Mets are they're they're tough, and it's going to be hard for the Braves to catch them with only three to four viable hitters on their team with no bullpen and having to continue to trust that Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley are going to continue their excellent streak from June. So a lot of things do not play in the Braves' favor, and that's why their percentage is so low. But that was a long-winded answer to a yes or no question, Benji, but that's my answer. All right, this this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for everyone that submitted questions. If I wasn't able to get your question in, I apologize. I tried to keep the show under 30 minutes because it's the perfect time, in my opinion, for an episode of all the podcasts I listen to. But anyways, I will definitely be doing one of these in the future, so continue to put in questions, and I'll make sure to get yours in if you didn't get your question in this time. Thank you so much again for everyone that submitted questions. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the page on Facebook, Braves Dugout Podcast. You can find the Atlanta Braves Dugout Facebook group. You can follow the show on Twitter at Braves Dugout Pod, and you can email the show at bravesdugoutgmail.com. You can also visit the website. Thanks again so much. See you next week, and as always, Go Braves!